Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. There we go. Uh, dude, I don't know about this. It'll be fine. Just saying. Uh, you know what you're doing? Yes, it's gonna be fine. Just saying. Hun? Faucet broke. I got this. What? See, I told you it'd be fine. Just saying. Oh, bam! Come on. Sorry. Hey, Dad, can I have some candy? Yeah, I don't care. Yeah! But it's 9 o'clock. It's bedtime. It'll be fine. All right, you ready to go? Yeah, let's do this. Do you need some lighter fluid or anything? No, man, I got this. Well, good morning, ACF. You guys excited to be at church today? I'm glad that you're here with us. We also want to welcome everybody who's with us online. Thank you for being with us as well on Facebook Live. We're so glad that you are with us. I don't know if you guys know this, but we are streaming live every Sunday morning on Facebook. And here's what I want you to do real quick. Pull out your phone. Uh, if you got a phone, pull it out. You can pull that out in church real quick. We're going to try to get, um, we're going to try to share this post with 100 people in the next minute. So that's what we're going to try to do. Pull your phone out real quick. Here's what's cool. So this is a great way for us to use technology to share the gospel with people. And uh, I was thinking this week, would, if you knew that sharing something on Facebook would change somebody's life, would you do it? I mean, certainly you'd do that, right? And, and we, we don't know what God wants to do through this space, but every week we're streaming, we're encouraging you to do this. Right now we've got Brent and Liz online with us, Amanda is with us, uh, Courtney, hi Courtney. Um, we've got, uh, man, we've got all, Keaton is watching live. So we've got all these people who are with us, uh, part of our church from a distance. And so real quick, go on the post, onto Facebook uh, Live, and share this post with your friends. And this is just a great way to invite people to be part of our community. If you're with us online, do the same. We love that God is using this place uh, to reach people. We also have many of you are deployed, uh, and you're out of maybe the country. You're not able to be with us. And so this is a great opportunity for you to be with us in church, even though uh, you're maybe working or away right now. Now. So we're, the, we're just glad that you're with us uh, today. And before we get into the text, I want to invite some new staff members up real quick. Could you guys come on up? Give them a hand, would you? You guys, this is so exciting. We've got a growing team here at ACF Church, and I just want you to know uh, some of the people that are on our staff. And so first, we have Amanda and Heath. Uh, say hi to those guys real quick. Thank them for being with us. So they just moved up from Newport News, Virginia. 
and Amanda is, is overseeing everything that is kids ministry at ACF. And you guys, we're so excited to have you. We're just honored that you'd be part of what's happening and uh, going on here in, in ACF Church. Ryan and Jen are on the end. Thank them for being with us here. If you don't know Ryan and Jen, Ryan and Jen were part of the ACF family three and a half years ago and ended up moving to Georgia. Ryan was in the Air Force and then he retired. And like many guys who are trying to figure out what's next, uh, Ryan was just praying about what's next in their lives and saw an opportunity to come up to Alaska. And so they, they moved everything they have to come to Alaska so that they can be a part of what's happening here. And so I'm just honored that you guys are with us. So thank them for being with us today. We are in a series of talks called Just Saying, and this is a journey through uh, the book of 1 John, and kind of the idea behind this is this man, John, is later on in his years. He's an old man at this point in his life. He's really the last living disciple of Jesus, and so he has great authority to speak about what it looks like to actually be a Christian. And at this point, as we've said, Grandpa John has sort of lost his filter. He sort of says it how it is. Some of you know people like that. Some of you are married to somebody like that who just sort of says it like it is, and then we all do this. The excuse for maybe saying something that was a little too pushy is, I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying it like it is. And John has been saying it like it is throughout the first two chapters of this book. And it's been challenging us. If you're brand new to this book and this journey, really in many ways, John is wanting us to question our salvation, which is not fun at all. But it is so necessary that we actually ask difficult questions of our faith and we decide, are we truly in the family or not? And I just want you to know, you guys, this is such an important thing for the American church. This is such an important thing that we question, we question our our faith and, and ask the hard questions of our beliefs and go like, is this for real? Is my faith true or is it some kind of conjured up thing that I've made up? And, and so we're walking this line throughout this series. If you are here and you're a Christian, and you love Jesus, and you're on that journey, I want you to walk out of church today believing with all of your heart that you are in the hands of Christ and you can never be taken out of his hands. But if you're here today, and yeah, that's, that's a woo, that's a, that's a great opportunity to, to know that, but if you're here today and you maybe are uh, you know, thinking that you're a Christian but your faith is not real, I want you to walk out here questioning it and dealing with it and actually asking the difficult questions so that you can step for. There's nothing more dangerous than somebody who thinks they're in, in the family of God but are actually not. And so we want to we look this in the eye. And, and if you want to grab a Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can download the ACF Church app and everything's on there as well. But I'm going to start with this question. Have you ever believed a lie? Have you ever been fed a lie? And just walked down through life with it. I think um, we are always being fed lies. Maybe you, you know this or you don't. But you are constantly being sold things. You're constantly being fed lies from people. Maybe people want something from you. Maybe they want your money. Maybe they, they, they want something else from you. But they're feeding you what they want you to believe for their own benefit. And there are all kinds of lies that are floating around in the world. And it's our job to know what's the difference between something that's true and something that's a lie. And so I'll give you an example. For me, when I first started dating my now wife, uh, Amanda, I-, I wanted this relationship to be the kind of thing where I was her everything. 
And I guess I just watched a, a few too many Hallmark movies or something, but like in my mind was like, I want her to worship the ground I walk on. I want her to wake up and think about how she can take care of me, how she can serve me. I want to be her everything, right? And so then you start dating, and, and, and in that dating process, you show them the very best of yourself, right? And you're buying her flowers, and you're just kind of, you're wooing this girl, right? And so you want, you want her to just think you are the best thing in the world. And then you realize after a few months, if you've ever been in a long-term relationship, that it, it never lasts, right? You can never hold up that facade for very long, and before you know it, they see the real you, right? They see you at like 7 a.m., you ladies, before you did your hair and your makeup, and you're like, oh no, close the door, no, I'm not ready for that, right? Or, they, or maybe you're in an argument, and they, they see sort of this angry part of you that they didn't know was there, and before they know it, the person that they've made their everything is now somebody who has failed them. And I realized not long into our relationship that the, the worst thing you can ever wish, wish on somebody is that another human being would be their everything. That's really the worst thing for another person is that you would put somebody else in the place that Jesus wants to be in your life because people will always fail you. And so when I learned that the most loving thing I can do is help my girlfriend and then my wife to make Jesus her everything, our relationship got a lot better. And it just got more healthy, and she got more healthy, and I got more healthy. But it, it took weeding out the lie that we have been fed and that we had received for us to actually get healthy. And at this point in the book of John, what we're seeing, uh, 1 John, what we're seeing is there's this group of people who've been part of the church, part of the family, who've then sort of fractured off and created their own little movement with different beliefs. And, and, and so John is challenging their beliefs. And, and so let's walk through this. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain to them that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Yeah. Scripture. So Jesus is everything to us, and we focus everything about our lives on Jesus himself being the Messiah, and there's this group of people who have fractured off who are questioning the divinity, supremacy, and sufficiency of Christ, and so because of that, they are actually in a different family, and he starts off with a statement, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. So we're getting deep here really early in church today. Um, Antichrist. So I googled the word Antichrist, and, uh, which is a lot of fun, and the first website that came up was, is Barack Obama the Antichrist, right? Which makes a lot of sense. And then the very second website that came up was, is Donald Trump the Antichrist, right? So apparently whoever's in charge, 
is the Antichrist. That's apparently where we're at as a country. But clearly, people want to know, like, who is the Antichrist? And so I want to help us to understand, like, this word Antichrist. It gets thrown a lot around a lot. Um, here's really a, a definition, a working definition for you. The word Antichrist is an individual who at some point through social, political, or economic power is opposed to Christ and is taking other people with him. And so that's what we believe is that, you know, we are actually in the last days. As John is saying, we are actually living in the last days. And we believe that the, the return of Christ is imminent. It's coming at any point. No one knows the day or the hour, but he is returning. And so we as God's people, if you're a Christian, are living like, hey, this is the last day on earth. This might be the last day on earth. And so we want to live like these are our last days. And we believe that as we go on through, through this journey that the world's going to get darker. And there will be people who rise into power and a person who rises into power who, who will be pulling people away from the truth of Jesus. And will be feeding them a lie. So John makes this interesting statement. He says, he says the Antichrist is coming, but Antichrists have come. Plural. Like, what, what is he saying? I would say antichrist, plural, what he's saying is, this is any number of people who are working in opposition to the movement of Christ. That's really what it means to be antichrists. So, so John is drawing this distinction. Hey, there are people who are actually moving and drawing people away from the truth of Jesus. There's this crowd of people in the church who are part of this family that he's saying. They were sitting with us every week. They were learning with us. They were eating at the table with us. They were walking down the road with us. And then there was this, this kind of belief, this doctrine that rose up that drew people away from this family. He says, therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So John is saying these people actually aren't part of the family. And, and I want you to know that, like, there are people who are in the church every week who sit at the table who actually are not believers in Jesus. They're not actually saying that Jesus is the only way, as Jesus says. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And there are people that are like, Jesus is one of the ways to life. And you can kind of come through him or these other options. And, and so their faith kind of turns into this, like, it's like a golden corral version of spirituality. It's like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. And this is how, you know, we do faith. Whereas Jesus says, no, this, this is about me. And there's this fraction of people who did not agree with that. And so they pulled away from the family. They pulled away from the gathering of local believers, and so if you have a pen, why don't you write this down? Commitment to the body of Christ is an indication of true salvation. Commitment to the body of Christ, the people of God, is an indication of true salvation. One of the first things that people do if they are dabbling in some kind of extra biblical doctrine is they separate from the family. And so what about you? Are you committed to the local community, committed to the body of Christ? And if you're not, then like what's pulling you away? And I want to draw a distinction. I'm not just talking about ACF church. People come from churches. They leave churches. Maybe you came here today from a different church. We're, we're glad that you're here. And if you want to go to another church, that's fine. But, but we're saying there, is, there are these people that would maybe say that they're Christians, but we would say because of a belief system that is somehow outside of what Christ is, they are not actually believers. And so it's drawing them away from the family of God. Now, why would any, anybody leave? commitment to the local church? Why would people leave and separate from this? The first, I want to throw out a few reasons. The first is that maybe you openly admit that you don't follow Jesus. 
And so that's why you lack a commitment to the local church. And maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, I'm here because, you know, I, I'm not fishing this weekend. And, you know, and I get it. I'm, I just went fishing and I miss church occasionally to go fishing. And we're not preaching this. If you miss church, you're going to hell. But listen, um, there is a commitment that people who love Jesus love the church because Jesus loves his church. And he died for the church. And, and so if you are like, man, I don't, church is pretty messy and there's hypocrites in church and there's sinners in church and there's people who say things I don't like in church, so I don't know if I really want to be around it. That's a reason to kind of question, do I love Jesus? Because if I love Jesus, I'll love what Jesus loves. And we know Jesus loves his church in all of her messiness, in all of her brokenness, in all of her need for a savior. He loves her. And so are you committed to the local church? Maybe you're like, no, because I'm not a Christian. Okay, I get that, right? If you're like openly not a believer, then you might not want to come to church. Maybe this is a way to make some friends. This is a way to get some, you know, free coffee, and, and that's why you're here. And, and that's, that's a great start. We're glad that you're here. But listen, again, that's, that's maybe a reason that you're not committed. Another reason is maybe you're living in a season of open rebellion, this is so common that as people struggle with sin in their lives, what they do is they separate from the local church. It's so often that, you know, I'll be looking around and I'll ask our staff, hey, have you seen this person in a while? Man, it's been forever. And I'll call them up and if I dig a little deep, they'll say, yeah, honestly, like my wife and I are, it's just bad right now. And uh, we're, we're maybe looking at a divorce and there's just some things that came out and it just got really rough. Or, yeah, man, like I, I kind of went back to some addictions that I thought I was over and now it's just gotten really unhealthy or... You know, there's, there's always something, it seems like, that draws people away from commitment to the local church and always breaks my heart. Because where else should a broken pe- person be than in, in the church? I mean, isn't this where people who say, I need a savior gather? I mean, isn't that why we're here? And so the first place you should go is with people who understand you and understand your need. And the last reason I want to bring up is that maybe you're not committed to a local church because you have a counterfeit faith. Maybe your faith isn't real. Uh, maybe there is reason to question your salvation, that you're like, you know, honestly, this is not first in my life. Jesus is not first in my life, so his church is kind of secondary to anything else that I might have going on. It, it might be just secondary to my life. Verse 20, let's keep going. But you have been anointed, he's speaking to the church, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. You can write this down. God will help us to know the truth if we are willing to listen. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, I do want to know the difference between a truth and a lie. And the first thing that, that, that John says to the church is the truth is in you. We just said Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, he did not leave us alone, but he said, I send my spirit to you. You're not alone in the world. The Spirit of God actually lives in you. And this is what we believe as Christians is that you do not operate on your own. It's not just you trying to figure out in your own mind what it looks like to discern a truth from a lie. This is actually God himself speaking to you. And yet so many of us are like, but then why do I still stink at it, right? If God himself lives in me, then how do I believe so many lies? And how do I reject so many truths, 2 Timothy says in, ver- in chapter 4, verse 2, that we can sear our consciences. Just like if you were to take a hot knife and to press it on your skin right now, and, and just to burn all the, you know, the, the, the skin, it, you'd, you'd stop feeling after a little while. Like, you, you lose the ability to feel, and, and, and the scriptures say that we can do that actually with the Holy Spirit, that somebody who actually is a Christian, 
can resist and grieve and even sear the conscience so that you resist and grieve the Holy Spirit and what he's trying to say to you. And maybe you're here today and you complain that God doesn't speak to you. And maybe God isn't speaking to you because you're not listening. And if you spend enough time not listening to God, you will find yourself in a place where you don't hear his voice. You'll get exactly what you wanted, which is to not hear the conviction of the Spirit of God. And so if, you, if that's you here today, the next time God speaks, just do what he says. And I promise you, the next time after that, his voice will be just a little bit louder. And the next time after that, as you're obedient and you listen to what he says, his voice will be a little bit louder. I think we've chosen to reject the Spirit because we don't like to feel conviction. So John's like, listen, church, the truth is in you, which to some of us is bad news because that means we've got no excuse. There's no like, I didn't know. God's like, no, you did know. You have the truth living inside of you. You chose not to know. You chose to avoid the truth and reject the truth. Okay, so we've all probably rejected the truth. We've made those decisions in our lives. But, but when do we like transition over into antichrist? Because nobody wants that title, right? No, nobody wants that title. Like, you know, you don't put that on your Facebook page. Brian Cook, living in Alaska, antichrist. Nobody wants that. And so how do I, like, avoid being an antichrist like John speaks about it? Somebody who's opposed to the truth of Jesus as the Messiah. He tells us, verse 22, he says, who is, the, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So, so John says, hey, if you want to know who is antichrist, it's those who deny Christ. You're like, well, that's pretty simple. I haven't denied Jesus like publicly lately. I haven't come out and said this specifically lately. But do you know you can deny Jesus with your life? Just as if, you know, I'm a married man, I can deny that I'm married by the way that I live. Uh, if you have a family, you can deny your family by the decisions you make with your family to engage or not with your family. You can deny a lot about your job and your life and your family without saying anything, just by the way that you live. But he specifically says people who deny that Jesus is the Christ. Christ means Messiah or Savior. And so how do we deny that Jesus is the Savior? Write this down. Claiming to follow God but trying to be our own Savior is Antichrist. That's how you become Antichrist. You know? I mean, you don't have to be a politician. You don't have to be somebody who rises into... You just have to deny that, that, that Jesus is sufficient for salvation. And, and you have to communicate that to others and live in that in yourself. I mean, that's, that's so much deeper than simply saying something. And this is so key because I think sometimes there's even sort of some of these beliefs that like, if I say the wrong thing, I give up my salvation forever. I don't know if you've ever studied, you know, like, what is blasphemy? What's the unforgivable sin? People ask that question a lot. And so there was this thing floating around on YouTube a while back called the Blasphemy Challenge. I don't know if anybody ever saw that. You can look it up. It's kind of a waste of your time, but it's, it's this thing that went around where people are going, okay, so if, if blasphemy to deny the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, deny, deny Christ is the unforgivable sin, then let's kind of, on a Friday night when we're bored and we have our iPhone, film ourselves saying there, there is no Holy Spirit, I officially deny the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's them going, hey, now I can't be saved, yay. I don't, I don't know why, Some, somehow this is fun, this is a movement that people wandered into. 
But I'm, I'm watching these videos going like, this is so stupid. Because it's not even what the scriptures say. This is a misreading of the Bible. Like, you can no more say something that would keep you from being saved than you could choose to not say something and make yourself saved. Like, you can't disqualify yourself from something you were never qualified for in the first place. Praise God for that. So you can't say something on YouTube and be like, I am outside of the power of God now, right? Just as much as you can't screw it up enough if you are truly in the hands of God that you are beyond his redemption. You just can't. And that's really good news. That is such good news. And so what does it mean to deny Christ? It means to try to work for your salvation. Not to work to love God and honor him and to show appreciation for what he's already given you, but it's this, all, the, these cults that start that are fractions off of Christianity, they always have a, a seed of this works-based salvation that I can do something to get God to love me. That Jesus is not quite sufficient, that the cross wasn't, wasn't quite enough, that I have to do something else in it. 2 Timothy 2.11 speaks about this denying. It says this, If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. This is where it gets scary. If we deny him, he also will deny us. We see that affirmed by the words of Jesus, right? You deny me, I'll deny you in front of the Father. So there's this like, okay, this is scary. What does it mean to deny? Well, you can deny with your lips, which once again, like if that's not where your heart's at, then it doesn't change anything. Any Christian can say the wrong thing and still be in the hands of God. And at the same time, if your heart isn't in it, then you're not saved. And so he continues on. This is the best news in verse 13. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So we just said, God actually lives inside of the believer. So we are identified by Christ. And so Even if you deny him in one way or another, if you're in Christ, whether it's through your actions or through your words, God will not deny you. When we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself because he lives in you. Does that make sense? So we who are in Christ are so secure. And it's such good news. And you never have to wonder. But you who are not should wonder. You should question. And you should dig into this. So we want to continue on when it comes to what we believe because that does matter. He says there's this belief that's floating around in the church that has created this this kind of cult of people who are not Christians. And I would say that this exists all around us. In our city, there are people who would say, I'm a Christian, who I would say, no, you're not, because of this piece of doctrine that you choose to believe. And there are people that I would say are Christians, who are different than us, who are at other churches. I am so thankful that we have, you know, 40, 50 churches in our local area who are many of which, who I would say are our brothers and our sisters, are people who see things a little differently, might worship a little differently, but they are our family. They are, they are with us. And yet there are people in our community who would say, no, we are the true Christians, but you, ACF Church, what you believe is not true. And so many times it comes back to something, some kind of new revelation or some kind of special thing that's beyond Christ. And John says, who is the Antichrist? It's the ones who deny that Christ is sufficient, whose faith is not centered around the work of Jesus. And so what we need to do is we need to know the difference. Can you tell the difference? 
Because I would say that there are primary issues and there are secondary issues. Can we agree on that? There are things that matter more and things that don't matter. I would say that there are some differences that don't matter. Some differences don't make a difference at all. And I mean, I'm preaching in flip-flops today. Somebody here is like, I don't know about that. My, pa- my pastor back home didn't preach in flip-flops. I'm questioning this, is this man's salvation. Like, I'm not so sure if that's legit. You know, uh, the music's too loud for you. The drums are on stage. I've got an eyebrow ring. And so you're like, I'm going to try a church that doesn't do the eyebrow thing. I, I don't know. Like, and I get that. These, and I just want you to know, these are secondary issues. What kind of bread do we use at communion? Is it the cracker? Is it the bread? You know, is it a wafer? Like, some of you have very strong opinions about this stuff. And, but I want you to know that these are secondary issues. These are things that, like, we can believe different things about flip-flops. I'm cool with that. I'm going to hug you, call you my brother, call you my sister, and you can do whatever you want in terms of, like, what family do I go be a part of? What church am I a part of? But I'm like, you can't get out of my family. You are still family members. You can hate my shoes, but we're still family members. Like, I don't care about that. But there are other things that do make a difference. Some differences do make a difference. And that's important that you know the difference. What's a primary thing? What's a secondary thing? And church, do you realize that we are blowing this in so many different ways? Like the world looks in and they're like, they're divided over flip-flops, right? Or what, and I know this is kind of stupid, but like, I mean, for years it's been, you know, what kind of music the church does or, I mean, these secondary things that I just imagine Jesus is going, oh, come on, you're losing it. You are missing the point. I would describe it like this. Um, did anybody drive up the Alcan to Alaska? Has anybody driven the Alcan? It's a fun drive, right? I got to drive it in March through three snowstorms. It was a blast. I just remember I left Colorado, and we came up um, out of Colorado. We were crossing state lines. And do you know what happened every time we crossed a state line? Nothing. We just were like, oh, there goes Colorado, you know. Off to the next day, look at the new sign, you take a picture. I mean, nothing happens, right? Because you're crossing state lines. We're still in the same country. And then we hit the Canadian border. And everything changed, right? And all of a sudden, we're in a big line, and they're like searching the truck, and I'm trying to make sure I've got all my serial numbers for my guns, you know. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to get into Canada, you know. What are they going to take? And and I heard the horror stories, right? Did you hear these about like them ripping everything out of the, you know, U-Haul truck? And anyway, so I was really nervous about it. And it was just, it was a different deal because we were crossing a national border. And see, in the church, there are state borders and there are national borders, right? Flip-flops, state border. <laughs> Some of you were like, no, it's not. You know, like, again, this is just ridiculousness. For people who aren't in the church, they're like, are we really talking about flip-flops? But for us, just, you know, music in the church. Do you lift your hands during worship? Do you keep them down during worship, you know? And I mean, there's so many different things that are, these are, these are state borders. The divinity of Jesus, national border. The Trinity, Jesus Christ, eternal, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together as one national issue, right? Jesus Christ being enough to save us, national issue. There are all these national issues, and when the church is is so divided over secondary issues, I want you to know it screws up our witness. It does. Like, the world's like, what in the world? Why do I care about any of this? They're upset about the silliest things. 
So listen, this is so key. When you make secondary issues into primary issues, you will lose your witness. But listen, when you make primary issues into secondary issues, you will lose your soul. When you make Jesus being enough into something that's on the table, take it or leave it, you are wandering away from the truth. And you are parting ways with his church in what you believe. So what you believe does matter. And we could spend all day trying to pick apart the primaries from the secondaries and, 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 and to know the difference. But you do some study. Get together with your life group. Talk about what is secondary or primary. And, and where have I maybe focused on something that hasn't been a big deal? And where have I chosen to not focus on something that's a really, really big deal? Here's what we believe. As, as the old quote goes, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. We unify around what matters. We give grace around the secondary things. And at the same time, we're always looking to try to work together. And so that's our heart as a church. So I want to give you a few tests. We only have a few minutes left, but a, a few tests for what is true doctrine. How do I know truth from a lie. So we're just going to walk through this pretty quick. But I want to give you some questions to ask when you're thinking of something that you believe about your faith and about God and about this life that we have. How do you know the difference? And the first question to ask is this, where did it begin? Where did this belief begin? Where did, where did it start? Because I'll tell you, not all new things are good things. And there's always somebody coming out with a new spe- special fresh revelation from the Lord and it's contrary to scripture, and it's not truth at all. So where to begin? And again, can we learn something new about God? Certainly. But, but I just want you to know, like, look back at history. Where did things begin? You know, I, I remember uh, I started learning creeds a long time ago, and creeds were, were uh, intended to help you to understand the difference between primary and secondary issues. And they're very old. You can look up like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, and, and these are to help us to go, these are key issues, things that we believe in. Galatians 1.11 says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the truth always begins with Jesus. And the scriptures, as we study those, Pastor Josh preached a great message about why we believe in the scriptures. And there's so much depth there, but we don't just believe them because some man said that they were true. We believe them because they're inspired by God. And we've seen that throughout history. We've seen it play over and over again and that we can look at the whole of scripture and see the inspiration in it. Next question is this, where does this belief get its authority? Where does it get its authority from? 2 Peter 1.20 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, there is a right way to read Scripture, and there is a right and a wrong in a world of total relativity. There is something that is true and things that are also false. So where does it get its authority? The truth that I believe. Well, hopefully you go back to the Word. And hopefully you've seen like, okay, so this is actually true because I see it affirmed by scripture. I hope that I see it true in my life and in the lives of people around me. I see that when this is applied to our lives, that it just results in flourishing in life. But I hope that it doesn't get its authority because Brian said it, right? Like, I hope that, I hope that you can read the scriptures and go home and study this stuff because I can put anything on the screen. Do you know this? 
I mean, if you're here right now and you're zoning out and you're not opening your Bible, do you know they can type whatever in here right now? Like, I can have them. You could just make up, Brian is amazing. You know, he preaches really awesome. Give him lots of money. And I'd be like, this is the word of the Lord, you know? And, and you're like, well, that's weird, but okay, here's my checkbook. But if you, if you don't have a way of reading and studying this on your own and giving it authority because of the scriptures, then you will be led astray. Because there's always somebody trying to sell you something. There's always somebody trying to drag you away from the truth. And I just want you to know it weasels its way in your life in such subversive ways that you don't even know when, when it's happening. And everybody in here is probably believing some kind of lie. There is something that has weaved its way into your theology. Hopefully it's not a primary thing, but there's something that's probably weaved its way into your life that you've believed because somebody that you know and really trusted said it. You're like, man, it must be true. And so just be careful of where things get their authority. Next question is, is it consistent with the rest of Scripture? Do I see this true from beginning to end? A lot of weird things come out of the church when people take and cherry pick one little scripture and base their entire theology on that. Again, this is John saying, hey, do you want to know the center of your theology? Jesus. And when you center your faith and your belief system on Christ, all the other things start to come aligned. And so it's really important that you know that it's consistent with the rest of scripture. Hebrews 13, 9 says, Do not be led led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not been benefited those who are those devoted to them. Again, people, there's, there were lots of things going on there with food that was offered to idols and things like that and different beliefs that had wandered into this, this belief in Christ. He goes, don't be led away by these strange and diverse teachings. Go back to Scripture. Go back to the truth of what Christ taught you and you will know what is actually true. That means you know what you got to do. You got to read your Bibles. You just got to actually read this book. You got to wake up and take 10 minutes every day and and just read it. Even if you just start, a bunch of friends of mine and myself, we just, we download the Bible app, and there's always a verse of the day. And even just, you guys, the power of just reading a verse in the morning, reflecting upon it, considering its context, and just asking God to teach you something through it, the power of that in your life is incredible. If you just start with that small, it doesn't take forever. Don't believe the lie that you got to sit there for two hours, because guess what? You'll never do that again. Just start with like five minutes in the morning and read the scriptures, study through it, and it'll get into your life, and you'll be able to know the difference between a truth and a lie. In fact, Paul and Silas, as they were on their missionaries' journeys, they they entered this place uh, called Berea. And in Berea, there were these people there who loved the scriptures, who knew the scriptures. And so as Paul and Silas would teach things, they would say, that's great, let's go back to the word of God and see if it's consistent with what we know about God. And that's how we'll determine if what you're saying is actually true. And so today, people who read their Bibles well, we call them Bereans. Bereans, people who study the Word of God and see if things are consistent. Next question, does it result in a healthier church? The dysfunction that's found in in these, these offshoots of Christianity is tremendous. But a church that's centered on Jesus is the healthiest place that you've ever been. And so that's why we always come back to the grace of Christ. We're always come back, coming back to Jesus because it's the thing that keeps us centered as there's so much junk being pressed into our lives. And so your friends should look in at the community of Jesus in, in, in a city and be like, that's a healthy group of people. 
Like there's something about, like I've never been around a group of people that are like that healthy in relationships, in marriages, in each other. Like there's just so much health there. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Right doctrine lived out by God's people from a heart of love for God results in a healthy church. So what you believe is what determines how you live and how you act. And so we have to know that we believe what is true. And I want to close with this last very important question. Does this belief highlight the grace of Jesus? Is Jesus the cornerstone of what you believe? Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So does your belief system center on Jesus and his grace and not your ability to to do it right and to fix it and to qualify yourself for something that Jesus says you were never qualified for in the first place? A couple weeks ago I was getting ready to do some hunting and uh, called a friend of mine, asked him if he'd go with me. And um, so it was like, you know, eight o'clock at night, he comes over to the house. We're throwing a bunch of gear in my pickup truck and uh, I got my four-wheeler out there. I got the ramp set up on the truck and, you know, he's helping load things in. And I go inside my camper to, to pull out some gear and I hear this like, Vroom. Ah! like yelling outside. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I open the door and there's my friend. He's like stomping around. Ah, you know, it's, I'm like, what's going on? Are you okay? And he's like, I just blew out the back window on your truck. And I'm looking and it's, I was like, I thought the back window looked really clear. It's because there wasn't one there at all. <laughs> he had like launched it up into the truck and like hit the back of the bed, which bent the bed, which bent the cab, which blew out the window. And there's glass all in the front seat. It's just everywhere. And it was one of those like, breathe moments. Put on... Christ. And uh, that's not always my, and honestly, at the same time, I was kind of refreshed because I'm always that guy. So I'm like, I get to be this guy this time. I get to be the one giving grace and not asking for it. So that's kind of nice. And so we're out there with the push brooms, sweeping up broken glass all over the driveway. And it's kind of quiet, you know, and and I'm thinking about like, how are we going to get this all together? And, you know, uh, you know, not all is lost. We'll figure something out, you know, and, and I'm going, so, and I asked him this question. I said, Okay, so we still going hunting? And his response was, uh, if you'll still have me. And I was just like, come on, man. We know each other better than that. Like, if you'll still have me? And it kind of broke my heart because I was like, dude, we're friends. I mean, it's a window. It can be fixed. And I feel like, isn't there a certain tendency that we almost feel like it's right, don't we? Like, we almost feel like it's right that, like, when we screw it up big time, that we sort of mope around and beat ourselves up, and, and we're like, I don't know. Maybe honoring God is to pull away from him right now. Maybe, maybe respecting him is to give a little distance, because he probably doesn't like me a whole lot right now. And you've got this loving father who's like, I will always have you. I will always love you. And you can't mess this up enough to the point to pull me out of your hands. And I just want you to know today that you are not what you've done. 
You are not where you've been. You are not defined by your mistakes. That if you're in Christ, if you confess your sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like that, that God doesn't just forgive you, but he also cleans you up. He makes you good. He makes you whole, not because you're good, but because he's good in you. And that it doesn't honor God's love for you to pull away. What honors him is when in your brokenness you lean in. You say, God, I just, I received from you. And I need it more than ever. And I'm more aware than ever. And I just, I just promise you that there are things coming in your life that you're going to go through where, where you're going to feel like you don't deserve God's grace. And that's, that's the truest thing that you'll ever believe. But to love him, and to be part of this family is to say, I don't deserve it, but I will take it every time. And instead of running away from it, we just say, God, pour it out on me. Just pour it out all the more liberally to me. So you are not where you've been. You are not where, what you've done. And you are not what you will do. Past, present, future. The gospel is that you are made pure and right before a holy God. And that is the best news anyone's ever heard. And so for you, just would you receive that? Would you receive that today? And, and I want you to know that when you receive that, you're not just sitting in church today. You're actually part of the family. You actually become part of this family. And it's like, it's my heart that there wouldn't be one of you that would leave today saying, I don't want to be part of the family. But that every one of you, no matter where you've come from, would receive from Jesus, know that you're loved, and experience grace. Can we pray together? God, I would just imagine that there's some people here today who feel like you want nothing to do with them right now. In their shame, they have pulled away from you and maybe from the people that love them and could support them and they're isolated. God, we know that people who are isolated get taken out that we were never meant to do life alone. So first, God, I pray that we would lean into the community that we have in you. We'd be fully satisfied by you. We'd stop depending on other people to fulfill us because, God, man, they fail us and we fail them. So, God, I just pray that we could know that the only one who is enough is you. We'd stop searching for this fulfillment in other things. God, I pray for us as a church that we'd know things that are primary and they would be things that we'd be unwavering on. And we'd also know secondary things. We wouldn't let secondary things destroy our witness to a city that just needs you. God, that we'd live lives that are focused on your mission. God, we know today could be the last day for any of us. You know, life is short and we also know you're coming. And when you come, God, you will separate those who, who loved you from those who do not. And God, it's our heart that as many of our friends and our family would be part of those who loved you. And so, God, I pray that you'd place us on mission. Give us a heart that's willing to speak up and do whatever it takes to bring people to you and help them hear the good news. We confess that we have denied you with our lips. We've denied you with our lives, God. God, but help us not to deny you with our hearts. 
And as, as we worship in the next few moments, God, I pray that we could just let it loose and let it go. And uh, there'd just be something that's stripped off of us. Just the shame would be taken away from us. That we could leave that at the foot of the cross, just covered in your blood, spent, paid for us. God, that we receive new from you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for making us clean. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.